sales win rates have plummeted to a mere 17%, and outdated technology and tedious manual processes are to blame. Meanwhile, managers lack the visibility they need to hold their teams accountable. But imagine a world in which these crippling issues are solved automatically. Revenue.io automates the most frustrating parts of sales so reps can focus on what they do best, selling. Completely automate pre-call research, logging conversation data in your CRM, writing post-conversation recap emails, and prioritized outreach. And as reps book more meetings and close more deals, managers gain the real-time insight they need to scale what's working across their entire team. Ready to say goodbye to tedious sales processes and watch your win rate soar? Head over to Revenue.io to learn more. I ask them what their goal is and they'll tell me their goal. So for example, one guy says, I want to make $5 million in sales this next year. And he's a benefits broker. And and I say, well, what are you doing or not doing that's preventing you from making these sales? And he says, well, honestly, I'm not picking up the phone and I'm not making phone calls. Well, I think most, most personal development folks will say, well, just start making phone calls. It's that easy. And to a certain degree, it is that easy, but there's a lot of depth behind that. And so I ask him, why aren't you making phone calls? And when he opened up, was vulnerable about this, he says, I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid of people saying no to me and what that says about me. Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Ryan Gottfriedson. Ryan's the author of Success Mindsets, your keys to unlocking greater success in your life, work, and leadership. And in this repeat episode from the archives of the Sales Enablement Podcast, I talk with Ryan about how our mindsets dictate our thinking, learning, and behavior, and correspondingly, how our thinking, learning, and behavior drives our success. I really enjoyed Ryan's book. He does an excellent job of laying out what mindsets are and how mindsets work and why they're so critical to your success. We dig into why leadership and individuals don't focus enough on the impact of mindsets on performance. And then we dive into the four primary mindset pairings. Imagine mindsets sitting on a continuum with the good mindset on one end and its evil twin on the other. We're we're a mix of each one, sort of like turning a dial. So we talk about growth and fixed mindsets, open and closed mindsets, promotion and prevention mindsets, and the outward and inward mindsets. They're all important to understand. Now, before we get to Ryan, I want to remind you to check out my latest book. It's titled Sell Without Selling Out. It's a modern buyer-centric framework for sales success that builds on the universal human values of connection, curiosity, understanding, and generosity to help you to enable your buyers to achieve their desired outcomes. It's available everywhere you shop for books, online, and stores. All right, let's jump into it. Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. So where have you been sheltering? I have been sheltering for the most part in Southern California, where I'm located in Anaheim. Mm -hmm. I'm a professor at Cal State Fullerton, but uh, just a few, actually it was a couple weeks ago, 
I went on a three-week vacation with my family, and we got out into the wilderness, uh, which is good. We spent most of our time in southern Utah. Uh, we did visit a couple of national parks, went to Grand Canyon oh, uh, National Park. And, and so it was just – that was such uh, a big relief to just get away from everything that's going on. <laughs> I can imagine. Especially since, yeah, Orange County, L.A., hot spots these days. So, yep. yeah, nice to sort of get out of there. Well, today we're going to talk about the importance of mindsets in performance, and um, yeah, I'm fascinated by this this topic. and And uh, you wrote that you know our mindsets dictate our thinking, learning, and behavior, which then correspondingly our thinking, learning, and behavior drive our success. Thus, mindsets are foundational to our success in all aspects of our life. So. I think people probably have a lot of different opinions about what constitutes a mindset versus like a personality or character or values or so on. So let's start with that. What's what's a mindset? Yeah, I'm so glad you brought this up because I, I think you're right. Everybody has a little bit of a different perception on what a mindset is. And I think that most people consider mindsets to kind of be this fluffy, almost ethereal concept. Like, hey, I'm I'm optimistic. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But but there's actually a huge amount of depth and substance uh, to mindsets, and that's really what I'm trying to bring to the conversation. And I'm sure we'll dive into this. But at, at a basic level, what our mindsets are is they're mental lenses that cause us to see the world in unique ways. So, for example, how do you see a challenge? Do you see challenge as being a bad thing, something to be avoided, or is it a good thing, something to be approached because of all the learning and growing that could come because of it? Or how do you see feedback or constructive criticism? Do you see that as a bad thing and get defensive? Or do you see this as a good thing and use it as opportunities to learn and grow? And we all know people that see these different things in different ways, and it's all founded on their mindsets which typically reside at a non-conscious level. Is our mindset, these mental lenses, they're there. Most of us aren't aware that they're there and we're not aware of the impact that they have on how we think, learn, and behave because how we interpret our world shapes how we process in our world and then how we navigate that world. Well, it, it seems like one of the key things you'd written about was that I sort of picked up on that I liked was just saying that the mindset is a, a way of understanding experiences. And you sort of talk about that with processing. And I think that's, it seems like a lot of the way people then decide going forward to react to the world, their mindset is based on past experiences. Yeah. And one of the ways that psychologists call this, this idea of how we process the world based upon past experiences is something that's called schemas. So, so schema is just kind of a train of thought that we mm -hmm. revert back to based upon these past experiences. And even then, I think schema adds a little bit more substance to this conversation, but we could even dive deeper than that because in reality, what our mindsets truly are is they are neural connections in our prefrontal cortex. And each of us, has a neural connection in our prefrontal cortex that tells us that challenges are bad and should be avoided. We also have a neural connection within our prefrontal cortex that says challenges are good and should be approached. Now, which one we have a tendency to steer towards depends upon the strength of that neural connection because the stronger the neural connection out of the two is the one that's going to fire more rapidly and more loudly. And so that's, that's 
effectively what these neural connections do is they serve three primary roles in terms of how we operate. First, they dictate out of the situations we encounter, which information gets processed in our brain because there's way too much information that we absorb that we can't physically process mm-hmm. at all. Right. So we rely upon our mindsets to filter. to filter in select right. information. So that's that's the first job. The second job then is to interpret that information that gets filtered in. And then based upon the information that comes in, how it's interpreted, our mindset's job is to activate the different elements about ourselves, such as our personality, our talents, our strengths, our goals, as a way to facilitate navigating those situations in the best way possible based upon how our mindsets read those situations. Does that make sense? Well, it does. So what it, but one of the things that when you talk about it in sort of physiological terms, then it makes you think that, well, huh, mindsets are sort of given and not necessarily learned behaviors. Well, so that's, that's the, one of the reasons why I love focusing on mindsets. So we could stack all the different attributes about ourselves on a continuum. At the bottom is very malleable aspects and mm-hmm. at the top is very stable aspects. So at the bottom these are things like moods and emotions. At the top, so moods and emotions are things that we could change relatively easily. At the top are going to th- be things more like intelligence and mm-hmm. personality. I'm not saying we can't change our intelligence um, or we can't change our personality. They're just harder to change and they're one of the hardest things to change about ourselves. Well, our mindsets And I I guess let me point out while I'm talking about intelligence and personality is that much much of the reason why they are so difficult to change is they have a high degree of heritability to them, that that these are innate to us as opposed to learned. Uh, And again, I'm not saying they they can't be developed, can't be learned. They just have a stronger degree of heritability to them. Well, mindsets... Uh, if we're looking at this continuum, reside right in the middle. This means that our mindsets and these neural connections are things that we could change. In fact, we could change them fairly easily. And when we do change them, they have a tendency to stick around for a while. So we actually would classify mindsets as not being innate really in any way. I mean, maybe a small degree but for the most part, what our mindsets are is learned traits that, that our mindsets, the current mindsets we have are brought about based upon our life's experience and not mm-hmm. necessarily on, on genetic factors. And, right. and so that's one of the reasons why I love focusing on mindsets, because these are things that we could change. Once we change them, then it can impact how we operate. And then, I mean, you can imagine, let's just say... Charisma is a common personality trait that people talk about. And we could have a, a person, two people, very high in charisma, but depending upon their mindsets, the one with the more positive mindsets are, is going to get more out of their charisma than the one with the negative mindsets. And so the, these mindsets play together very well in terms of thinking about it across different attributes about ourselves. Okay. Um, and that all makes sense. I mean, so... Yeah, the fact is, you have you paint this you know spectrum from the more malleable to less malleable, and you know mindsets also sit on this continuum. But it's it's um, 
Yeah, one that is personality. So personality does affect mindset to some degree. Well, actually, what what we see and what psychologists see is that our mindsets activate our personality. So let me give you an example uh, to make that come to life. So sure. I'm, nat- I'm naturally an introvert. Um, I'm not an extreme introvert, but right. I'm naturally an introvert. So when I go to a party where I don't know anybody, what happens is my mindsets pick up on the cues that I don't know anybody there. And then what it does is it activates my more of my introversion. Hmm, okay. But if I go to a if I go to a different party and there it's family members and friends, people that I feel comfortable with, I'll my mindsets will pick up on those cues and it won't activate my introversion to the same degree. In fact, it might el- activate whatever elements of extroversion that I have. And so the basic idea is our our personality and how we manifest our personality is not the same across situations. Right. How we manifest our personality is based upon how our mindsets read the situations that we encounter. And similar situations are going to activate similar personality attributes. As we okay. move across different situations, it'll activate different elements of our personality. Yeah, I like that. It's a great way of, of thinking about it. It's the mindset activates the personality. Huh. Okay. Yeah, I like that. I like that. I hadn't really put that together. So you, you've mentioned, you've written that that – you believe we don't focus enough on the impact of mindsets on performance because you're saying the research and mindset occurred sort of outside, you know, management and organizational domain. So talk about that. I mean, where, where has this research been done on mindsets? Yeah. So it's, there's different disciplines and I'm not saying it hasn't been done in management. It's just been really, very limited in, in the management literature and the leadership space. And that's one of the things that I'm trying to change. And in fact, uh, recently published a, an article in Leadership Quarterly as a way to introduce mindsets more fully into the leadership domain. But for the mindsets have been studied for the last 30 years across primarily psychology and education, and then a little bit less in management and in marketing. And in each of these disciplines, they're each attaching themselves to kind of their own pet mindsets. Mm-hmm. And across this 30 years of research in each of these disciplines, they're finding that mindsets dictate, as you mentioned, how we think, learn, and behave, and they largely don't talk to each other. And so what I've done is I've come across studies that that show that our mindsets dictate how we think, learn, and behave, and, and, so, and I found these across these different disciplines. What I've done is I've pulled these together. And created a framework on mindsets, which I think is, uh, based upon my knowledge, is the most comprehensive and research-based mindset framework to date. And so, usually in my coaching and consulting practices, I focus on four sets of mindsets, not, not because there aren't other sets of mindsets. It's just because these are the four that we have the most research backing on and the ones right. that I'm most com- confident in terms of presenting to business leaders uh, as, as a way to develop themselves and their business. Yeah, and we're going to go through those because, um, yeah, this is largely a, a sales audience, sales management leadership. But, but yeah, I thought they were relevant to, to uh, the people who are listening to the show and anxious to learn about it. So you have this sort of, do you call them pairings of mindsets? Because, um, yeah, you've got four continuums, let's say, perhaps, of, of mindsets. How do, you, how do you refer to them? 
Yeah, uh, four pairs that exist pairs. along a continuum. That's oh, okay. it. Yeah, exactly. There we go. Yeah, and I sort of think about. I was thinking like uh, the thing with the mindsets is, as you said, since they exist on a continuum, we are a mix, right? We're not all one thing or all another. We're somewhere in the middle. I mean, I sort yeah. of, it called to mind like uh, Herbert Simon's work on decision making with maximizers and satisficers. Uh, you know, we sit on the spectrum at some point. In fact it may be contextual based on what we're trying to decide. Yeah. I think we have a dominant mindset and and I've got a personal mindset assessment that I've developed based upon validated measures. And it's actually free on my website at ryangotfordson.com. And what the assessment is designed to do is help people identify um, essentially where they stand along this continuum currently. And I think, I, I think we generally take a stance that doesn't mean that we can't, we can't, be at a different place based upon the situation. But for the most part, this is kind of where our mindsets reside at the current moment. And so, and, and it's really interesting because what I found is I've had about 11,000 people take my mindset assessment. And 11,001, I took it. I think in general that most people think that the mindsets that they have are really ideal, maybe even the best mindsets to have. I mean, if they thought differently, they would probably develop different mindsets. And so I think most people feel like they have really positive mindsets, but then across these 11,000 people, what I found is only 5% are in the top quartile for all four sets of these mindsets. So most of us have got some work to do. And as we, as we start to discover our mindsets and the current quality of our mindsets, what we're doing is we're deepening our, our self-awareness at mm-hmm. a level that we've probably never been before. Right. which is a really cool experience to walk people through. Okay. Well, we're going to walk through these four pairings. And the first one is, and I, as I said, I was 11,001. I took the assessment. Um, <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk about my scores as we go through this. So um, first, pairing fixed and growth mindsets. You say a growth mindset is the belief that you're able to change your talents, abilities, and intelligence, and that others are able to do it as well. And the fixed mindset sort of being the inverse of that is you're unable to change your talents, abilities, intelligence. Now, this is this is critical in sales. Well, actually, everywhere, I guess. But, I mean, to me, sales has always been about curiosity and self-improvement, learning how to do different things, uh, you know, as you go through your career, different challenges, different companies you work with, different products. So, having a, a fixed mindset seems like it'd be a real disadvantage in this environment. Well, yes, it is, but it's not uncommon. In fact, as a whole, 50% of the population has been found to have more of a fixed mindset. And when when I look at my coaching clients, the majority of those are sales reps with a fixed mindset. And I think they're hiring me to to help them coach because they realize how how it hinders them. And so how this plays out for, let's just say, a sales rep, is when we have a fixed mindset, don't believe that we and others can improve, we have a tendency to see the world in terms of haves and have nots. Mm-hmm. And, and if we fail, to us, we interpret this as though we are a have not. And nobody likes to be a have not. And also, simultaneously, because of this fixed mindset, we don't believe that we could ever become a have. So, so when we fail, this is demoralizing. It is defeating because this uh, says that we're a loser and we can never become a li- winner, at least in this area. And so those are the fixed mindset 
just the way their brain is wired is primarily focused on looking good and simultaneously avoiding problems and failure. And, and so when it comes to sales reps, and I'll, I'll just speak to a couple of my coaching clients, is when they've got a fixed mindset, how this plays out for them is I ask them what their goal is and they'll tell me their goal. So for example, one guy says, I want to make $5 million in sales this next year. And he's, he's a benefits broker. And, and I say, well, what are you doing or not doing that's preventing you from making these sales? And he says, well, honestly, I'm not picking up the phone and I'm not making phone calls. <laughs> well, I think most, most personal development huh. folks will say, well, just start making phone calls. It's that easy. And to a certain degree, it is that easy, but there's a lot of depth behind that. And so I ask him, why aren't you making phone calls? And, and when, when he opened up, was vulnerable about this, he says, I'm afraid to fail. I'm afraid of people saying no to me and what that says about me. And so as a way to help him feel safe, he's not picking up the phone. And this is foundational. And so what, what, is, what is bringing about this fear of failure and this fear of no's? Well, ultimately, it's what we, what we kind of found out through his assessment and other discussions is he's got a really strong fixed mindset. And what, what we need to do is if, if we're going to get him to start picking up the phone, we don't, we don't set goals, pick up the phone a hundred times this next day or whatever it might be is instead we focus on having him engage in exercises that activate and strengthen his growth mindset, neural connection. And as he shifts his mindsets more to a growth mindset, he'll naturally develop much more healthy fears, much more healthy commitments, and then, and then behave in a much more effective way. And so I think most development work overlooks mindsets, yet they're the most foundational element for why we do what we do. And so if we can add mindsets to the equation, not saying we need to ignore everything else we've been focusing on, but if we could just add mindsets to the equation, we're going to be much more successful at making breakthroughs and developing our people. What I, what I found interesting, sort of two points on, on this one. I mean, a lot was interesting, but two things I wanted to talk about. Was one is is yeah, you you say okay, people with a fixed mindset prioritize looking good and and being validated. Uh, so they since they think they can't improve, they think it's important for them to be seen as someone who possesses you know talent, intelligence, and so on. Uh, you know, to me, it sort of brings to mind like the Dunning Kruger effect, right? Is is you know they're they not only believe they can change, but they also presume they don't need to change. Yep, and. You know, Scott Galloway <laughs> wrote uh, in his newsletter a couple weeks ago. Yeah, you know, these are people who are too dumb to know they're dumb. But it's 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 not that. It's just that you know they lack the self self awareness that's so critical. Um, yeah. And so that's the thing I found sort of interesting is this conundrum. Is as you point out with the fixed mindset is that yeah they want to look good. They're sort of afraid, desperately afraid. On one hand, they'll be exposed, but they can't ask for help because they'll be exposed. Yeah. And even let me, uh, and I think, let me give you an example. I think everybody could relate to, and that is uh, with my college students. So when I, when I look at um, and even ask my college students, what is your primary focus as you take this class? Is it on getting good grades or is it on learning and growing? And the vast majority of them say it's on getting good grades. Mm -hmm. 
And so they prioritize that over learning and growing. But the, the best approach is to focus on learning and growing because the more you learn, the more that you grow, the better grades you're going to get naturally. It's a natural byproduct. And so when we go, and I could relate to this myself as somebody who used to have a fixed mindset, is when I was going through college, I just cared about the grade. And so I was often taking shortcuts. I don't, I was, I don't ever remember cheating or anything like that. But for me, I was trying to take the most direct route to getting a good grade. And in the process, what I was doing is I was bypassing the learning. Like I look back on some of the college classes that I took. I can't remember a thing for most of them, <laughs> right? So, sure. so this is what happens. And this is what has come out of my coaching calls with these sales reps is, is they say, man, I've just been taking shortcuts my whole life. And I am done taking shortcuts because it, it ultimately, while it's put food on the table, it hasn't gotten me where I want to go. Right. And I think taking your story about your students and extending that is, is for many sellers is, and I think this is an issue, and I think I know it's an issue, is, is that they focus on in the interactions with the customers with getting the order as opposed to helping the buyer make a good decision. Yeah. And, and if you focus on the former, yeah, you may, you're going to get some orders, but you're never going to achieve to the extent you could when you focus on helping the customer make a good purchase decision. Yeah, and that, that taps into, and if it's okay to just uh, at least briefly skip ahead to one of the other sets of mindsets, which is the difference between an inward mindset and an outward mindset. So when we have an inward mindset, we see ourselves as being more important than others, which causes us to see others more as objects. Mm -hmm. Whereas when we have an outward mindset, we see ourselves as we see others as being just as important as ourselves, which allows us to see others as people and to value right. them as such. And so what, what it, and just kind of going back to the same guy that I've been coaching is because of his fixed mindset and he's so focused on looking good and succeeding and and to your point is saying taking the shortcut is how do I get this sale so that I could win and look good to my peers and my supervisors? Well, a natural consequence of this, at least for him, is that he's now has this inward mindset. The sale is all about him and it's not about his customers. Right. Therefore, he's more focused on for himself getting ahead as opposed to lifting and adding value to those that he's working with. And so the, uh, the, a secondary consequence, at least in this instance of him having a fixed mindset, is, is it's now making him self-focused as opposed to other-focused. Right. Just to, to um, emphasize your point that you're making there. Right. And, and so sort of along with that, because this issue comes up again with the, the inward mindset versus the outward mindset is, you know, studies have shown that the most effective way to have an uplift on individual sales performance is through effective coaching. But if you have managers that have a growth, excuse me, have a fixed mindset, they are seeing people as being unable to change, then that obviously has an impact on how they coach them, as opposed to managers that have a growth mindset that they see that, yeah, I can work with this person and, and help them improve and so on, which is similar to sort of the inward inward, outward um, mindset in the sense that they're in a coaching, you know, if you're an inward um, mindset, then you're most likely it's like, this person's, this person's a problem, right? I need to get rid of them. There's too much risk working with them. They're never gonna be able to change as opposed to an outward mindset where it's like, 
yeah, I can I can understand what's preventing or try to help this person understand why they can't perform at a higher level, and I can actually help them improve. So what what the research has found, because what you're talking about is spot on in terms of what has been played out empirically. And most people don't know if they have a fixed or growth mindset, but we can assess that. And we've done that with leaders. And what we found is that those with a fixed mindset give lower quality and lower quantity feedback than leaders and managers with a growth mindset. Mm-hmm. And so it just, just kind of adds hopefully a little bit more weight behind what you're saying there. And, and again, this is not something that the individual, that the leader or manager is probably aware of. I, I mean, my guess is if we go back to the fixed mindset leaders and the growth mindset leaders say, are you giving adequate feedback to those that you're leading? And they probably both say yes. But yeah. the reality is one is and one isn't as much, right. at least as much. Right. Okay, so let's let's move on to the next pairing, the open and close. Actually, I, I so on your scale of one to seven, seven being growth, one being fixed. I was six point five, and that's pretty high. So on this scale of one to seven, the the mean and and the quartile breakdowns is is different. So these scales weren't developed so that the the middle point and the mean for everybody mm-hmm. is at a four. Um, so so with that being said, is that that would put you in the top quartile there for for a growth okay. mindset. Yeah, I think I'm one of those top 5% people. I'm always striving, you know. <laughs> okay, so open and closed mindsets. So you wrote that when leaders possess an open mindset, they're open to the ideas of others, are willing to take those ideas seriously. And most importantly, in my mind at least, they're open to the possibility that they could be wrong. Whereas mm-hmm. a person with a closed mindset is not open to the ideas of others and is nearly always right. Um, and we have examples of that in public life these days. So... Um, it seems like we do see more of that these days. Maybe the influence of the internet, you know, the more people sort of having gravitating to tribal closed mindsets. Yeah. And, and there's a, a gravitation towards certainty, which, which I think influences this. So, mm-hmm. I mean, one of the things that you described uh, was great. So, why would anybody have a closed mind to begin with? Why would anybody be closed to the ideas and suggestions of others? Well, at a fundamental level, the reason why they would be closed-minded is because they believe that what they know is best. So to use an analogy, their mind to them is a bucket and their bucket is full. And what happens if you pour something into a full bucket? Well, it just runs off the side and nothing nothing gets absorbed. And this is where you, you mentioned, and this is key, is that those with an open mindset, they can have a really full bucket, right? They can know a lot but they're just leaving room in their bucket for the idea that they can be wrong. And when we leave that room, what happens? And this is a huge shift between those with a closed mindset and those with the open mindset. Because when we believe our bucket is full, our focus is on being right. We want to have our ideas supported and we want to be the one providing all the answers. But if we're leaving some room for the idea that we could be wrong, we no longer care about being right. Instead, we want to find truth and think optimally. So we're much more inclined to ask questions, to seek feedback, invite new perspectives, and see disagreement as an opportunity to learn and grow as opposed to a threat and get defensive. Yeah, you quoted an article you wrote, um, Shane Parrish, uh, where the quote was, closed-minded people would never consider that they could actually be closed-minded. In fact, their perceived open-mindedness is what's so dangerous. (laughs) And, And to me, I was just like, 
Oh yeah, <laughs> you see that in spades today. Well, it, and and it's everybody, right? I look back ten years ago, and if you had, would have asked me ten years ago if I was open minded, I would have raised my raised my hand and say, "Yeah, I'm top of the class." But I look back ten years ago, I think, "Oh my goodness, I was so close minded. I was so rigid in my thinking." And I think a, a lot of people are closed minded in a very justifiable way because they, one, they want some certainty. They want to hold on to some notions that they, what they believe is true. And if it's not true, then that maybe disrupts their world a little bit and they don't have the space to deal with ambiguity. Exactly. Um, but then also it's just simply, it's not socially acceptable to be wrong and to admit that you've been wrong. And, and so that creates a context in which it's very difficult to have an open mindset uh, because we are so socially incentivized to have this desire to be right and this fear of being wrong that we get wrapped up in this closed mindset unknowingly. Well, and isn't this really a challenge for back to the business world and, and for leaders and for managers and so on is that is they're presumed to have a certain competence. Right? By mm-hmm. virtue of the fact that I promoted you, you must be an expert in these things. And this is a problem in sales that we have is you know, we promote people into management and we presume, well, you're an expert on mindsets, you're an expert on performance improvement, you're an expert on on you know these various aspects they need to be in charge of, the metrics, sales skills. I go down this list of 20 items. And they certainly have been trained to be that way. They haven't been given the you know, I said the training or the support to be that. So in order to not look bad is they have to exclude any challenges that presumption that they don't have that competence. So therefore they can't be wrong. Yep. You're so right. And and then here's the consequence of that ultimately is it destroys psychological safety in the workplace and, and psychological safety is something and psychological safety is your belief as an employee that you could speak up and take risk without fear, negative repercussion. Mm-hmm. And Google did a massive study back in, I think it was 2011. It's called right. Project Aristotle, if you want to look it up. And what they found is that they studied their, their top performing teams and they had the question, what makes our top performing teams top performing? And they couldn't find anything for the first year. They were looking at all of these factors, such as what are the personality dynamics of the team? What are the um, gender or ethnicity dynamics? And they weren't finding anything. But they were cued on to something, then they spent another year researching that. And effectively, what they found is that the number one factor that fuels top performing teams, at least in Google, but I think it's generalizable, is psychological safety. And, And so if we as a leader are so attached to what we know and we're not willing to take in the ideas and suggestions of others, then we're going to destroy that psychological safety and ultimately limit the effectiveness of our team. And hopefully, hopefully this analogy is helpful. And what we're saying when we have an open mindset, we're not saying we need to run with everybody's ideas and suggestions. We could always have a stiff back. We can always take a stand. Mm-hmm. The key to having an open mindset is that we just simultaneously have a soft front. We're able to take in the ideas and suggestions, roll those around a little bit and validate those with others. Because what that does is it creates that safe environment. Yeah, one of the things I sort of sprung to mind as I was reading this as, as well as in thinking about it was that uh, people oftentimes mistake you know people with a lot of self confidence for being closed minded. 
but I was wondering what you're finding in your research. To me, it seems like someone with self-confidence has the confidence to admit they're wrong. Yeah, and this is where authentic leadership is so key because there's the facade and there's the authentic aspect about this. There's let me let me cue your readers on somebody else who I, I think is doing some really cool stuff in this space. And and the guy's name is Shane Snow, and he focuses on what he calls intellectual humility. And really what we're talking about at fundamental level is this open mindset is being intellectually humble. And if you were to go to Shane Snow's website, he's out. He's also got an assessment just for intellectual humility, and he breaks it down into different components, which I, I think there, there's a lot of value in doing that. So if anybody wants to dive into this deeper, that that's a fantastic resource. But in order to be a, an effective leader, we don't need to be focused on being right as socially incentivized as we are to be right. We need to be intellectually intellectually humble. And I love that phrasing. It, it, it to me, it, it, it brings out, it makes me want to be at my best. And I feel like it bring tries uh, and incentivizes others to be at their best. Well, I think it's, I agree. I, I've been reading more about that intellectual humility and, and incorporating it to some of the things that I'm doing because, and writing about because, yeah, in sales, we talk about, you know, having these authentic interactions with our customers and and oftentimes people talk about the need to be vulnerable, great, and to be humble. But people are taking that to mean, you know, sort of humble in a self-effacing type way, as opposed to being intellectually humble, which I think is really the critical way. They, the humility they want to show with customers is, yeah, I've got this open mind to what you're telling me, because the tech, the uh, trend, the tendency, the <laughs> trendency, I may create a word between trend and tendency. <laughs> the, the trend in sales over the last several years has been is, is much more rigid sales processes, compliance-based sales processes. You know, I've defined a persona of the buyer I'm looking for. You're it. You're going to fit this, this you know, description I've created of who you are and what you want and how you think and what you like. And I'm not going to accept information outside of that. And, and, you know, it's that lack of intellectual humility that I think prevents a lot of people from achieving what they need to. Yeah. And a, a great case study of, of mindsets as a whole, but this particular mindset set as well is Microsoft. So Microsoft from 2001 to 2014 was stagnant in terms of market capitalization and stock price. Like everybody else was flying past them. And in 2014, many experts were wondering, is Microsoft dead in the water? Mm-hmm. Well, something happened in 2014 that led to the ship being turned around. And that something that happened was Satya Nadella came in as CEO. And since he became CEO, Microsoft's market cap and stock price has quadrupled. I mean, it's just been huge growth. And and it's been amazing. And the the one of the things or what's led to this is, and he talks about this in his book, Hit Refresh, that he says the C and CEO stands for curator of culture. Mm -hmm. So he knew right away he needed to shift the culture. And what he learned and what he recognized within Microsoft was he felt like everybody needed to be know-it-alls. And so what he said, and they they put it on all employee badges that said from know-it-all to learn-it-all. Learn-it-all. Yeah, I love that. And, and 
And then the other thing that he did, and it ties into even a couple of different mindsets here, is he said, we've got to stop thinking that we know what is best for our customer. And we've got to start meeting with our customers face-to-face, asking them what they need, what would make a difference in their life. And then we just need to fulfill it. And so prior to him, Microsoft was out there primarily either developing products based upon what their competitors were developing or developing products that they thought customers want, but really didn't know. And so a lot of these products ended up flopping. And so as they've connected better with their customers, they've totally changed their business. They're much more agile. They've been able to adapt and develop products that actually matter to people. And we see the benefit of that as their growth is skyrocketed. Yeah. No, it's a great example. Well, hey, Ryan, unfortunately, we're running short on time, and we're not going to be able to get through the next uh, two pairs of my. Well, we talked about inward and outward, but uh, prevention and promotion we'll have to leave for another time. But I really appreciate you coming by. If if people want to connect with you and learn more about what you're doing, where can they do that? Yeah, the best place to go is my website, ryangottfordson.com. Uh, there you can get my mindset assessment. Also, you can, if you go through my website to get my book, Success Mindsets, which Recently hit the Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller list. Uh, there's a bunch of freebies and there's there's opportunities to dive deeper into mindsets such as a digital mindset coach or an online coaching uh, program. So uh, happy for anybody to go there, of course. And then if anybody wants to connect with me on LinkedIn, that's probably the next best place. Perfect. Well, Ryan, this has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thank you so much. I really appreciate the great questions. Great conversation. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Ryan Gottfordson for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So thank you for your help with that. And thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. Hey, sales strategists. At Revenue.io, we're not just imagining the future of sales. We're building it. We offer the world's most complete platform for revenue teams, and we're featured in the most recent Forrester Waves for both sales engagement and conversation intelligence. With Revenue.io, you can slash call prep time to seconds, guide your reps in real time to have more successful conversations, and after calls, we generate ready-to-send recap emails so sellers can keep deals soaring toward the finish line at light speed. See the future of sales now at Revenue.io.